0: Iconic makeup artist, beauty industry revolutionary, entrepreneur. Bobbi Brown is all these things and so much more. Throughout her career, she has crossed paths with some of the most accomplished people at the top of their field. These conversations are a look into their inspiring lives because everyone has a story. This is Long Story
1: Short with Bobbi Brown. John Tish is a member of one of America's most influential, wait, You want to talk over me? All right. John Tisch is a member of one of America's most influential families. He is co-chairman of the board of Lowe's Corporation and chairman and CEO of Lowe's Hotels. In recognition for his leadership and civic involvement, Crane's New York Business named him one of the first members selected for their Hall of Fame, recognizing individuals who have transformed the city in both their professional work and their civic and philanthropic activities. I've known John Tish for over a decade. What I love about John is even though he's grown up in privilege, he's had the luxury of being born into a family that was very, very business-minded, learned a lot from his grandparents and his parents, but that's also what kept him humble and down to earth. He is a great guy and I'm really, Happy to call him my friend. Hey, Jonathan.
0: Bobby, always good to see you. Always
1: good to see here you here in Long Island City. I, I didn't think
0: I'd run into you in Long Island City, of well, all places. I
1: <laughs> am really happy and honored that you came to Long Island City. You <laughs> know. It took
0: me 15 minutes. Very well, you're easy. You're
1: lucky. You're very lucky. Easy. Yeah. So I've known you for so long and I know a lot about you, but I don't know a lot about you. And why I thought you would be such an interesting guest is what I'm amazed is for someone that grew up in privilege and you know knowing a lot of people you're just so normal nice and down to earth but you've been like that from the day i met you and you're still the same way
0: i remember when we met many years back and you were very kind because i had a tv show on plum tv yes where it was the only show on tv where ceos were being interviewed by a ceo me and you were one of my first guests
1: and well, how long we, ago? we came
0: to New Jersey. I remember you we came shot to my at, store. We shot it at yeah. your first store. Right. So that has to be like 12 or 13 years ago.
1: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get a copy of it because I, I really liked it. I thought mm-hmm. it was great. And I do think, you know, you are ahead of your time. And I think you should do it again. And you said you don't have time.
0: In my spare time, which yeah. is none.
1: So why are you so busy?
0: Well, uh, my day job mm-hmm. is still Co-chairman of the board of Lowe's Corporation.
1: And does that take most of your time?
0: That is part of the, the daily activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am co-chairman with my cousin, Andrew, and then my cousin, Jim, is CEO. Lowe's is a publicly traded company that my family's been involved with for many, many decades. And then I am also chairman and CEO of our hotel subs- hotel subsidiary, those hotels. We currently have 24 hotels. We have about 13,000 rooms. And then we have five new hotels. Wait,
1: 13,000 thousand rooms. rooms? It's taking me a minute to get that because my hotel has. Uh, That's
0: what you and I are in the same business. We're the, we are in the same business. <laughs> yeah. And what's exciting <laughs> is that we have five more hotels currently under construction.
1: Really? Where are those
0: hotels? We have a big. Footprint In Orlando, mm-hmm. we are partners with now Comcast and NBC Universal, and we are the only hotel company that they can partner with when they build additional properties. So this started about 22 years ago when Universal was owned by Seagram's. Seagram's then proceeded to sell to Vivendi. Vivendi sold to GE and then GE about five years ago sold to Comcast. OK, so Comcast is our partner now. We have six hotels that are open and operating, and that's 6,200 rooms. Hmm. And then we have two more hotels currently under construction that will be an additional 2,800 rooms. The first, what we're calling Surfside, part of the complex, which is Endless Summer, the first building will open this June. That's 750 rooms. And then in about 15 months, we'll open an additional... 2050 rooms so that count when they're all open will bring us to 9000 rooms in orlando alone
1: and how involved are you in details
0: oh i (laughs) pick every fabric yeah i pick every lamp i have to approve every spoon and it's not that i mean
1: i I get that
0: you are you of all people understand it because i read about the vision you have for your hotel but
1: not just my hotel every business i have you know,
0: So we're fairly small. The industry, and we can joke about scale, but the industry, the big guys, are just ginormous today. When you look at Marriott with some 6,000 hotels, 32 flags, over a million hotel rooms, when you look at Hilton, when you look at Intercontinental, when you look at Hyatt – We have to find a way to differentiate ourselves from the competition, and we've been doing this. I'm third-generation hotelier. My family's been in the business for 75 years. And so with our 24 hotels, five more that are being built literally as we sit here in Long Island City, one way that we plant the Lowe's flag is through design. And we're very focused on ensuring that our properties fit into their neighborhoods in terms of architecture, interior design, and then how we view our role as being a good neighbor. And so the attention to and vision for what the buildings need to look like falls on my shoulders, and I enjoy the process. So with our partners, I pick the architects, I pick the interior designers, and then go through the entire process. And the ones that we're doing now are all new construction. So literally, we are starting with a blank piece of paper.
1: But they're different price points, right? New we York very different and price Orlando points. very different.
0: So in Orlando, since we were just mentioning that, we have some four-star hotels that we put the Lowe's name on. Lowe's Portofino Bay Resort, Lowe's Sapphire Falls... Lowe's Royal Pacific, those are four-star, those are high-end. Then there are some three-star hotels, Lowe's Cabana Bay, which is a 2,200-room hotel. Oh, God. That is a three-star hotel. And the ones that we're under uh, building now under construction, uh, Endless Summer, as I mentioned, 2,800 rooms, and those are gonna be a value proposition. Those are gonna be two-star, But the designs are really good. And what I get really excited about is that I'm designing hotels with my colleagues and associates at Universal, the same people that are designing the Harry Potter ride, the Hmm. same people that are designing Volcano Bay, their water park. So the creative process for me as a former TV producer a thousand years ago when I was living in Boston. I really enjoy this part of it. And you know my incredible wife, Lizzie, who's in the fashion industry. I learn a lot from her in Mm -hmm. terms of what people want, where design is heading, where colors are. We go to Paris three or four times a year and people ask all the time, do you go to the shows? And I say, absolutely, I go to the shows Mm -hmm. because I want to, hear her comment on a designer's ideas and themes and and where look is going. Mm-hmm. And that's been very helpful to me as I design these hotels.
1: And what's the difference between a two-star hotel, a three-star hotel, and a four-star hotel?
0: Pretty much about service and amenities. The four-star hotels, you will have turn-down service at night. You will have a bell staff that can bring your luggage to the room. You will have valet parking. Three-star and two-star don't necessarily do that. And obviously our partner's interest is all about creating demand for the theme parks. And they want to build hotels that we're happy to own with them and manage where we can put three, four, in some cases six people in a small suite. And then during the day, obviously, they go into the universal theme park. And this has been a partnership that goes back 22 years to when Seagram's own Universal. And it's been incredibly successful. We have a really big footprint in Florida that's going to get even bigger. We have Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. It's now 20 years old. Just
1: walked by it two days ago. (laughs) Uh, And
0: I was there for New Year's Eve. (laughs) Ah. And so that's 790 rooms, as you know, right in the heart of South Beach. Everybody thought that I was out of my mind. When we did that deal some 25 years ago, started construction 22 years ago, it's been open 20 years, incredibly successful. We'll soon have eight hotels in Orlando. We're working on two or three other opportunities in the state of Florida that aren't ready to be announced, but are very exciting. And then based on our learnings of some 22 years of operating hotels in a theme park and understanding multiple demand generators of entertainment, food and beverage, retail. We've entered into a joint venture with a company out of Baltimore. It's called the Cordish Company, David Cordish, who I've known forever. And they've made a name for themselves building in downtown areas, entertainment complexes, and sports. So we have two hotels under construction with them, one which will open this coming June is in Arlington, Texas, and the joint venture is Lowe's, Lowe's Hotels, the Cordish Company, and the Texas Rangers, the baseball team. Hmm. Texas Rangers are putting up a new billion-dollar baseball stadium that will open for the season of 2020. And so we're going to own and operate the hotel with our partners, and that will be called Live by Lowe's. The Cordish Company builds casinos, and they use the live nomenclature for their casinos, so we're going to call the hotel Live by Lowe's. To talk about my day, Lowe's hotels is rather time-consuming. We have incredible. So, what time did
1: you wake up today?
0: I was up at five today.
1: By alarm? No, you just wake up at five. Yes. And then uh, three, and, day,
0: three days a week, uh-huh. I go to SoulCycle at six. Uh-huh. I go to SoulCycle. Wait, well, I
1: know you did the thousand ride. So
0: the, uh, you, <laughs> I you, saw you, that in the re- post. You, re- you read page six. <laughs> yeah. So th- thousand, uh, yes,
1: that was your birthday.
0: It, no, it wasn't oh, my birthday. It was, your, it was uh, after a thousand rides. Right. My friends at SoulCycle, uh-huh. Harvey and Melanie, gave me a birth—not uh, a birthday ride—a one thousandth anniversary. It's right. very hard yeah. to say 1,000th. Right. So wow. it, I, they gave me a one thousandth Ride and that was in August. And I took today off yesterday. I rode it. I'm at 1104.
1: Oh my god! So I've
0: done 104 rides since August.
1: How often do you see Mickey Drexler there? (laughs)
0: Mickey and I often <sighs> yeah. uh, I go at six, he comes he strolls in. At seven. At seven. Yeah. And then on the weekends I go at seven thirty and he, he yeah. sort of makes the eight thirty.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm more an eight o'clock guy. But mm-hmm. we're in Montclair there isn't a soul cycle, so that's you know there is one in somewhere in Jersey. Yeah, but it's yeah. too far. It's, it's too a half far. hour. Yeah. yeah. I usually yeah. do it in the summer when I'm in the Hamptons. Yes. So I yeah. try to go five or six days okay. a week.
0: So right. so the day is working on the hotels. We have 10,500 team members who are incredibly committed to what we do. I view myself as the keeper of the brand. Mm. As I mentioned a moment ago, third generation started by my grandparents and my mother and father, my aunt and uncle. And your
1: grandparents came from where?
0: Uh, So uh, there's a a lot of Russia Mm -hmm. and there's some Germany. And it was my great, great grandparents that came over. Uh, My grandfather, Al Tish, who used to be Al Tashinsky, when he played basketball for City College, people couldn't say, as he was running up and down the court, they didn't say, go Tishinsky, go Tashinsky." So that's how it got shortened to Ah. Tish. So uh, Al Tish and his wife, Sadie, my grandmother, Hmm. Sadie was you 60 years ago, Uh 70 years ago, 80 years ago. She was a very smart Short. very involved a little bit <laughs> okay <laughs> business person yeah really and and what uh, did she do she helped my father and uncle mm-hmm. start what is today lowe's corporation
1: and so what how did what was their first you know they arrived here with did so they, they, come they, from lived, money?
0: they uh no no they they came yeah. with nothing right lived in brooklyn uh-huh they were in the rag trade they mm-hmm. were in the schmata business and sold garments and As the war was coming to an end in 45, 46, they read in the newspaper about a summer camp that could be leased in Lakewood, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And you know where Lakewood is because that's uh, sort of where you are in the state. And so they had no experience, Mm -hmm. and they decided to lease this camp. It was called Camp Lincoln Laurel. Lincoln was for the boys. Laurel was for the girls. And they ran this camp for about two years. And then the same family, the Sidon family that owned the camp, also owned the Hotel in Town. Hmm. And the hotel was called the Laurel in the Pines. And they didn't know anything about running a summer camp, and they certainly didn't know anything about running a hotel, but they said, look, if we can run a camp, we can run a hotel. Yeah. That's how they got in the hotel business. Wow. And then they expanded, and so they were in the Catskills a bit, and the... Attention to finance and ensuring that your business is profitable goes way back because what they would do is they had one set of lobby furniture and they would keep it in the winter at the Laurel the Pines, which was a winter resort. And then the summer they would back up the trucks and bring the same furniture to one or two of the resorts that they had in the Catskills. So they wow. literally had one set of furniture and would just bring it that's, back and forth.
1: That's amazing. Between the winter
0: resorts and the summer resorts. And
1: were these stories told to you when you were a kid?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. And then uh, they moved from Lakewood to Atlantic City. And at what one point we had five hotels in Atlantic City. And Called what? Uh, one was the Tremor. One was the Ambassador. Okay. One was – I forget the other names – But the Traymore was a very famous hotel. If you remember the movie Atlantic City with Mm -hmm. Burt Lancaster, the opening scene is of a building being imploded in 1962. That was the Traymore. Wow. Because Atlantic City really fell into hard times then. That's when people started going south to the Caribbean and to Florida, which is part of Mm -hmm. the family story. So I was born in 1953 in Atlantic City lived there for about five or six years. And the real risk that my father and uncle took on, and it, I tell the story all the time when I give presentations and speeches, is that they opened a hotel in Bal Harbor, Florida, in 1956 called the Americana.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And prior to that, all of the development had been in South Beach. Mm-hmm. That's where the Fontainebleau had been built. That's where the Eden Rock had been built. Right, And they used the same architect, Morris Lapidus. And Morris Lapidus built for them the Americana 700 rooms, about 25,000 square feet of meeting space, and it opened in 1956. Mm. And it's the story that we tell today about managing risk, about understanding budgets and about being on time and sticking to a Mm. budget and really being disciplined and keeping an eye on the bottom line. And it was a rather bold move on Hmm. their part. And my aunt and uncle moved to Bell Harbor from Atlantic City. We followed a year later. And then what really changed in terms of being investors and understanding value was in starting in 58, 59, they bought Lowe's Theaters. Hmm. And... The reason they bought Lowe's Theaters is not necessarily because they wanted to show movies. They wanted the land underneath the theaters to build hotels. Wow. So here in New York in 63, they opened the former Summit Hotel, which is on 53rd Street and Lexington Avenue. It was the first new hotel built on the east side in 40 years when it opened in 63. They went on to build the Americana, which is now the Sheridan Center on 7th Avenue. And all of these locations were former Lowe's Theaters, Hmm. toured down the theater and built the hotels.
1: So, did you guys name the theaters Lowe's, or you bought them? We bought them. So, Lowe's Theaters... Okay, that's how you Lowe's. Lowe's Theaters
0: and MGM were one company. Okay. In the late 50s, under antitrust laws, Mm -hmm. the government separated them because MGM would make a movie. It would automatically go into a Lowe's Theater. It was anti-competitive. So, they became two publicly traded companies. And my father and uncle bought Lowe's Theaters, once again, to... Right. be able to have access to land. Right. The great story I, I love telling is the Americana was an amazing hotel, as I mentioned, Morris Lapidus architecture. Across the street, and this is in Bell Harbor, Surfside, so it's about 96th Street, 97th Street, Collins Avenue. Across the street from the hotel, the hotel was on the ocean. On the other side of the street, on the intercontinental, uh, intercoastal, excuse me, were our tennis courts. And I forget the exact year, but in the early 60s, my father and uncle sold the land where the tennis courts were to the family that still owns the Bell Harbor shops, huh. which just went through yet another addition. Right. They just added a third floor. They have been incredibly successful. Mm. So historically, that was our land, and it was sold in the 60s.
1: But where did you go to high school?
0: So in 61, we moved to New York because mm-hmm. Lowe's Theaters was based in New York. So it was two separate companies, Lowe's Theaters and Tish Hotels. Kay. Lowe's Theaters... Bought Tish Hotels, then it became Lowe's Theaters and Hotels. So uh, we moved to Scarsdale. Okay. So you grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in the suburbs. Ah. I went to Riverdale. Okay. And then I went to private school in Connecticut. I went to the Gunnery Mm -hmm. in Washington, Connecticut. So I never really went to school in Scarsdale other than elementary school.
1: And but and how about your how many brothers and sisters? Uh, I have an
0: older brother and older sister, Uh uh, Steve, who lives in L.A., Lori, who lives here. And so Steve went to the gunnery also. He's older than I am. And then he went to Tufts. And then I went to Tufts. And I've been on the board of Tufts for 27 years. Oh. So then, And then by the time I went to Tufts, we moved into the city. Okay. So I... I View myself as a city boy, mm-hmm. Upper East Side, for right. decades.
1: Yeah, because I never would have thought you had anything to do with the suburbs, which yeah, no, isn't we, a bad thing. I'm proud that I am right. a suburban mom.
0: Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah. And my wife is from Long Island. Yeah. And okay. so uh, we lived in Scarsdale for many, many years.
1: So what was it like when you were even before high school, when you were a kid growing up, with your with your incredibly hardworking grandparents and parents, what was the dynamics of the family?
0: Always understanding that as we became more fortunate and took on more responsibility, but also had a chance to see a a certain way of life, never forgetting that you have a responsibility to others. I don't like the term giving back. Mm -hmm. I think that the kinds of people that that you and I know hide behind that. Mm -hmm. And so I use a, a different way of thinking about it. And I call it understanding one's responsibility to the community. Mm-hmm. And so we had a chance to learn that early on. We learned about hard work. We learned about discipline. We learned about risk taking. We learned about protecting the bottom line. And a bit of a cliche, but yeah, this was dinner table talk. And, and my father and uncle who were brothers and then partners in business and and my mother god bless her and my aunt this is just what everybody did and the respect that everybody had for each other i have four cousins so there are seven of our generation Mm -hmm. and here we are many many years later and we still have this relationship where we cut each other a wide berth we have tremendous respect for each other and for a big family it's worked out unusual too pretty well
1: i mean that's really unusual
0: yeah so i run the business right. with two of my cousins uh-huh. and then in terms of our 50% ownership of the new york giants with mm-hmm. the incredible mara family on um, owning the other half it's my brother and my sister and right. myself and so we all get along really well yeah. and th- these were lessons that were learned very early on my father was referred to as Mr. Outside, because he was very warm, gregarious. Mm -hmm. He would know the names of everybody that was part of the teams at our various hotels as they were building the corporation. And Larry, my uncle, was referred to as Mr. Inside. Mm. He was a numbers guy. He could ask you five questions about your business, and he would know it better than you would. Mm. That was just his insight and his... His knowledge and his acumen were really quite unique. And you put the two of them together, they created something very special Mm. for our family today. So it became Lowe's Corporation when we purchased CNA Insurance, which we still own, based in Chicago. So the corporation today has five different operating subsidiaries, Insurance, CNA. We have two companies that are based in energy that are headquartered in Houston. Lowe's Hotels, and then we have a plastics company, which is in Atlanta. So five different businesses and always looking for additional opportunities to expand the corporation, to expand Lowe's Hotels.
1: So you're still having fun?
0: Absolutely. You're still absolutely. having fun. You're I, still driven, you're absolutely. still... I got a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And that's... Uh, and <clears throat> well, take... how do
1: you let go of it? Like when you come home at night, how do you kind of shake the day and...
0: Well, the, the, the blessing that I have is an incredible wife who mm-hmm. totally understands what is important to me and family is incredibly important so we have three kids between us and the ability that that we do everything together i support her business she helps me in my business mm-hmm. and that is our release and we we like eating out and we we like staying home with our kids and we like traveling with our kids and our close friends And so we don't golf, we don't play cards, Mm -hmm. we just spend time with each other and going to a restaurant and talking Mm -hmm. is our form of relaxation and seeing what's out there and we love pop culture. And if we're eating at home, and we watch Extra and Access Hollywood, right. because we just we just love uh. knowing what's going on and what interests people. And having a teenage daughter, it's good to right. know those kinds of things. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, you sound very similar to my relationship with my husband and how we view life and our kids. Mm. So I get it. Have you seen Mrs. Maisel yet?
0: I'm just catching oh, up. I don't watch so a lot good. of TV. Uh, I, it's I, probably
1: uh, your grandparents. Yes. Yeah, no, no. I, it's so, amazing.
0: So Lizzie kept saying, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. But basically, I watch yeah. sports and news. And news okay. is so freaking depressing these days that i mainly sick really to sports. It's not really depressing.
1: It's comical.
0: It's comical. It's comical. Yeah. yeah it's but, just, it, but it's sometimes it hits a little too close to home yeah. and it verges on yeah. like WTF and you know, and you don't have it, to
1: you don't have to answer me but have you picked a presidential candidate no, yet I, no not, not.
0: i, I, I just, was al gore's finance chair uh-huh. uh, when he was running and okay. so i've been pretty much involved i was very Uh, involved in raising money for Hillary. And so my stripes are fairly obvious. Right. So just getting back to Mrs. (laughs) Maisel for a second. Yeah. So I I had a chance to, over the holidays, I watched the first episode and loved it. So I'm catching up. And then the only other thing that, we, that I watch Lizzie watches every cop show right. uh, she wants to play a body on SVU <laughs> I'm she, sure you we're, could arrange we're, that we're, we're friendly with some of the people that are <laughs> yeah. on the show and so she's all I want to do is I, I want to be a body uh-huh. uh, I promise I'll lie still right. but I, I want to play a body uh, so the other show that we watch is Billions uh-huh. and yeah. Brian Koppelman who went to Tufts and Charles Koppelman and Jenny who's got her great show on Sirius we know the family mm-hmm. And so about a year and a half ago, Brian reached out to Lizzie and said, I'd love for you to come and talk to David, my writing partner and me, because you know a lot of people Upper East Side and our storylines are, are realistic and we'd love just to get a sense of what's going mm-hmm. on. And so she goes down there and they're, she spent about two hours there. And so she says to them, well, I'm a little surprised. Here you are, so authentic about your locations, especially when it comes to food, I'm a little surprised that you guys haven't shot at the Regency. So the Regency is the oh, Lowe's cool. Regency Hotel where I grew up. When we moved into the city, I, I am the male Eloise. Uh-huh. I literally Aww. grew up in the hotel. It's now part of our organization. But the Regency is the home of the Power Breakfast. Right. And that's where, literally where the term Power Breakfast started Yes, in the mid-70s was when my father, Lou Rudin, Felix Rodin were tasked was saving New York City, which was on on the edge of bankruptcy. Hmm. So they would all get together, they would meet, and they would have breakfast at the Regency. That's where the term started. So Uh she is out there shilling for me, Uh and she said, I can't believe you haven't shot there. Uh, This past February, I get a call from the terrific young man who runs the hotel. He says the scouting crew for Billions was just here, and they asked if they could shoot one morning a scene with... Uh, with Damien Lewis mm-hmm. in the hotel. And I said, sure. But, you know, if I have a SAG card, which I Aww. I do, I said, if there's a chance for me to have a line, right. I would love to do that. Kwasi Baki says, Brian said, of course, whatever John wants. So here we are. They're going to shoot at the Regency on a Friday. They let us have breakfast and they took it over after that. You've been on many sets. It's like 80 people to shoot one minute of TV. I come home two weeks in advance and I said, oh, Lizzie, it's amazing. They're going to shoot billions at the Regency and they're giving me a line. She looks at me and she says, you're happily married, right? Uh I said, beyond. She said, do you want to stay happily married? I said, that's my intention. She said, well, then I want a line also. (laughs) So, of course, they gave her a line.
1: Wow were you guys together or uh, we were, were separate we tables
0: contiguous to okay. each other uh, ax walks into the restaurant uh-huh. i see him out of the corner of my eye i go over and i say to him hey ax and then i actually improvised mm-hmm. and i added a line <gasps> oh <Uh-oh. laughs> so the line was hey ax and then i added how are you man they liked that and kept it in uh-huh <laughs> and i said sorry but you didn't have a reservation if you we, i said you didn't we didn't know you were coming. If you give me a second, we'll get your table. And he looks at me, and one of the greatest lines ever delivered mm-hmm. in television film since the beginning of time. <laughs> Bobby Axelrod looks at me and says, No need, JT. Now, isn't that a great line? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he walks by me, walks into the restaurant, Lizzie is at a table, and her line is she sees him walking, he's about to really rag on somebody who's at another table, and that's the scene. So he's walking down past her. She is in conversation. She looks up. She looks at him and says, hey, Axe. And he looks at her and goes, Lizzie, and keeps walking.
1: Aww, that's so cool. Has that been, has it, that been it, on it was the
0: second to last episode last season
1: okay yeah I must have I, I yeah. missed it I'll have to go so, back because we were watching it and then we mm-hmm. just stopped well so now, they're, they're, now it's, coming, it's coming back in about okay. uh, a month okay so season now I'll have four to go. well I'm almost done with mrs. Maisel yeah so, so we... I'm catching up on yeah. mrs. Mazel also okay but that was our uh-huh. star turn on uh-huh. billions oh cool I did not get
0: an Emmy nomination, which I am deeply upset about. But did you get a check? Uh, You must be getting a check. Yeah, of
1: course I got a check. And I'm sure you're going to do something with that check.
0: I gave it away. (laughs) Of course you did.
1: (laughs) What what philanthropic things are you most proud of?
0: So as I mentioned briefly, I've been on the board of Tufts University for Mm -hmm. 27 years and very proud of what we've created there. And then the focus, which is more local, is that I am vice chairman of the board of The Shed. Mm -hmm. And The Shed is this new cultural institution that's being built as part of Hudson Yards. It sits on 30th Street, Mm -hmm. and the architecture is incredibly unique, designed by Liz Diller from Diller Scafidio, and David Rockwell is the consulting architect. Mm -hmm. It's a $450 million building, and it will serve as incubator spaces for all kinds of culture, Mm -hmm. dance, theater. Really? art, music, uh, fashion. Uh, Lizzie is involved with kids' schools, and she's on the board of City Meals and on the board of New York Presbyterian. And so we try to cover lots of different bases, and it's been important to us. And started a group called the Travel Business Roundtable. I talk about how careers in travel and tourism are really the first bite of the American dream for many people who are new to our country. And these are incredibly good jobs. Mm. And you have your way, uh, the ability to work your way up the food chain. And so many people that are in our organization, and we're Mm. fairly small, as I mentioned, Start as members of the bell staff or in the kitchen and they right. go on to become general managers. Yeah, that's and,
1: I think that's really important. I think and, what you're, that's you important. And you get it important. because
0: once again, you're yeah. in the business. Right. So how's your experience been in the hotel business?
1: Well, it's we opened in April mm-hmm. and, you know, we got a lot of press and we've had a bunch of fun, different celebrities. We've had a lot of events. And you know, there's some weeks that are sold out, and there's only 32 rooms, and there's some weeks that are not. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, for me, I love doing things that I have no idea what to do. So I love to travel. I'm very opinionated about hotels, and it was fun creating this with yeah, my it's husband. Great. You know, it was uh, not the easiest process because I'm used to being the boss, as most people know. <laughs> but um, you know, my husband—it was really his project, and I supported. That's him. That's great. So it was—it was really fun.
0: But you know. About the industry now from all sides, and it's incredibly gratifying when people stay with you, and they—the purpose of their visit is not uh, e- e- the expectations are exceeded, not mm-hmm. just met; right. they're exceeded, and right. that's very gratifying. And I
1: love you know talking to the guest and finding out why they are here, mm-hmm. you know, and what they're going through because people's stories are really interesting.
0: Absolutely, you know well. And it's a big responsibility. It As is. I say, people leave the safety and security of their home. Right. And they entrust in you that you're going to keep them safe, mm-hmm. that you're going to allow them to accomplish the purpose of the trip, whether mm-hmm. it's business, pleasure, right. with their partner, with their kids, with their significant other, that you are providing the canvas for right. them to accomplish what they set out for.
1: Yeah. No, it's a it's fascinating so Jonathan, you have done so much. We haven't talked enough about the Giants though. Like how I
0: know you guys are fans. It's a little bit of a disappointing season.
1: Um, you know, I'm I'm don't have a particular team. I happen to be from Chicago, so I happen to be a Bears mm-hmm. person, which is ridiculous, yep. but I'm not a fan. I'm just because I was friends with Michael Strahan. I became a Giants great fan, great guy. But uh, now I'm friends with Gary, and now I have to be a and Jets. Gary wants to own the Jets. Yes, yes. So um, you know, but but it's you love football.
0: So I, I always love football. This goes back about 30 years. Mm-hmm. Pete Rozelle, who was really the commissioner that created today's NFL, was one of my father's best friends, and when my father got to a point due to his hard work and what the family accomplished, he was in a position to be able to seriously consider buying an NFL team over the years. And this is in the early 80s, mid-80s. He looked at various times. He looked at the Dolphins. He looked at the Eagles. He looked at the Redskins. He looked at the Cleveland Browns. And it always came back to, I'd rather be involved with something in New York. Mm Mm-hmm. The town that he grew up in is the town that he lives in, the town that he's been so supportive of. And then through a set of uh, circumstances, 50 percent of the New York Giants became available. The team originally had been owned by, the, as it still is, 50 percent by the Mara family going back to 1925 Mm -hmm. when they paid $700 for the franchise in 1925. That was a
1: good investment.
0: Yeah, I would say so. And then in 1991, my father purchased 50% of his hometown Mm. football team. And until he passed away in 2005, for those 14 years, it brought him, excuse me, yeah, 14 years, it brought him incredible Mm. amount of pleasure. Wow. In those days, training camp was up in Albany. And so he would go up there and training camps in August. So it's a little toasty Uh in Albany in August. And he would stand on the sideline. He would travel with the team to away games, Mm. and he just loved being co-owner with Wellington Mara, who was an incredible individual. And the team today, the CEO is John Mara, Wellington's son. Mm -hmm. The Maras are our partner, we're 50-50 partners. My brother Steve, who lives in LA, is a bit more involved in the day-to-day, and that was my father's wish before he passed away. And it's just really cool to be associated with something that, hopefully brings mm. so much pleasure to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It also brings a fair amount of consternation when mm. the team isn't winning. So right. this season, uh, midway, when we're one and seven, it's a little yeah. discouraging. Yeah. Uh, but I've got a lot to do to keep busy, and, and I love it, and just know that the team is in good hands.
1: So if with all of your success, if you had to tell the people that are listening— One thing that they need to know on their journey to whatever their journey is, what would that be that would change their life? One thing from Jonathan Tish.
0: Stop talking and listen. Mm. Listen to what people have to say. We all like to talk and we're all experts on certain subjects, but you really need to listen because there are other people that have good ideas that have fought the wars before you that could be incredibly helpful in your journey. Mm. And... Just don't make it all about yourself. My first book, I had three, and the first book was called The Power of We Succeeding Through Partnerships, Mm. and it was about the journey towards success, and that's really terrific when you set a goal for yourself and hopefully you accomplish it, it, but it's not all about you, Mm. and that's why it's The Power of We Succeeding Through Partnerships. It's about creating relationships with others to get to the point that you want to be at, but then understanding that you have responsibilities to others. So that's why it was called the power of Mm. we, not the power of I. And that has really been an important lesson in my life and one that I hope to impart to others.
1: And where could the listeners find you? Social media, Uh,
0: Uh, I am on Instagram, but I am incredibly boring. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, but what is it? Uh, it's Jonathan.Mark.
1: Okay. Jonathan.Mark. Is yes. that your middle name? Yes, it is. Okay.
0: Yeah, Jonathan.Mark. Uh, I don't post that often, but when I do, it's usually a good one. Uh-huh. And I do it because I love seeing what's going on. Right. And seeing friends and family and famous people mm-hmm. that we know. I love to see them out there. And...
1: Uh, and does the hotel?
0: Oh, obviously, Los okay, Hotels. So. Yeah, we have people that do that. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, lot. yeah. But
1: still, yeah. You so Lowe's
0: Hotels. Right. Obviously, we have our website, mm-hmm. and we've got all kinds of social media right. through our okay. hotel. I am not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to tweet, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I'll leave that to others. Sadly, and but occasionally I check in on Instagram.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much for Bobby, coming it's to Long great. Island City. Th- thank you so much. Uh. And that was my conversation with John Tish. Do you believe the guy has rode over a thousand soul cycles? I'm tired just thinking about it. What a guy. And that's it for this episode of Long Story Short. If you like the show, tell a friend. Also rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, email them to askbobbybrown at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at justbobbybrown and let me know who you'd like me to interview, anything else you want to see. Thanks for listening. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown,
0: a Gallery Media Group production.